Hello, everyone. This is Cassie Burns, co-founder of All Your Data. I'm an attorney who's been using AI and machine learning for 10 years. I love data and love talking to people about data, and that's what this podcast is about. Each episode of Cassie and will feature a new guest. Each guest comes from a different background with a different approach and attitude towards technology. We'll talk about their experiences and hopefully we'll learn a thing or two. Thanks for joining. Let's get started with Cassie and Elena Gurevich. Elena, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Thanks for having me. <laughs> Elena, you and I met in the wonderful world of LinkedIn and I would love for you to tell the audience a little bit about yourself. And I will say you caught my attention because you always post really interesting stuff. You're also an attorney in IP interested in emerging technology. So of course our fates were aligned to me. So (laughs) would love to hear a little bit about you for the audience. Sure, sure. It's going to be a very, very brief intro. (laughs) Nothing really, nothing much to tell, you know, about me. I'm an IP attorney based in Brooklyn love everything about the emerging tech and has been researching the space for about a year and a half now, kind of just deep diving, uh, going as far as taking <laughs> online courses. And the recent one that I took was the AI online course from the Oxford University, which kind of just gives you this technical background that I think as an attorney working in the space, you need badly. You need to be aware of how those systems work, how the models are trained and, you know, all the nitty gritty stuff. Cause it's very easy to kind of misconstrue. And just based on that, you are making also all sorts of like wrong decisions, you know, just kind of snowball effect. And with my inquisitive mind, which sometimes just is a nuisance, <laughs> uh, kind of just, you know, I had to go deep, deep, deep down into this all. That's why I'm reading all those papers at night, just posting some obnoxious stuff. Not a lot of people are interested in that, but, you know, I love it. I love it. So what you're alluding to, Elena, is I think every Friday night, you'll read an article, like a scientific journal article, (laughs) right? Or so... And they're very interesting topics. They tend to be, based off of what you share and what I recall, tend to be a little bit more technical one that you shared that I mm-hmm. loved, I had to I had to go download and and save it for later is LLM unlearning, where mm-hmm. where people are trying to realize and and address there may be a point where we have to remove source data from an LLM. How do you do that without rebuilding it completely? And there are some scientists who, who came together yeah. and said this is this is a potential option. So I see more. I think there's going to be yeah. more and more conversations around like not just building the LLM and how to use it, but how do you address those things to account for things like data privacy or copyright infringement, allegedly things like that. Do you see that kind of being a 2024 trending focus? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like this year obviously has been where just AI exploded into the public consciousness. Right. And I, I kind of, can't help but make this 
parallel with like the NFTs a few years before, but not in terms of just kind of it's a fad. It's not good. It's got to go, go, go away. But in terms of like everybody's talking about AI, yeah, but people are sort of, they input different meanings behind the, the, the word. There are different definitions that people, different people have different definitions of AI and different organizations even have different definitions of AI. And it's kind of, it's different. So to every person it means something different and sometimes not in a, in a good way. Sometimes people get it totally wrong and it's kind of, it's, I think it's going to be one of the important things just for everyone to get it together and just, let's just settle on one definition. That's kind of work for everyone. And let's build on that when it comes to obviously regulation and setting up frameworks and guardrails for AI systems. And 2024 is definitely going to be very important in terms of AI regulation. EU AI Act obviously comes to mind, which was just agreed upon in December, earlier this month. And definitely, definitely, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be very, very exciting working in the space. The companies will have to comply with a lot of, a lot of, just measures and considering the fact that not a lot of companies are aware whether they're using AI at this point. Because if you talk to, for example, CEOs and like small company owners, right? Some of them are not even aware at times if AI is being used or the employees are using AI. Just kind of there has to be some awareness just Regarding that even, let's start with that. Let's start kind of let just baby steps. Let's just spread awareness. Let people educate themselves. Let just let the word get out there. Let's start the discussion and conversation. So the more people know about it, the more questions they have. The more questions they have, obviously, kind of the more thought they're going to put into that process uh, of kind of just if you're building your business or if you're a business owner, right? You have to know that with certain AI systems, in place, you'll have to comply with certain regulations. And obviously, 2024 is going to be a a big year in that regards. With late October, executive uh, Biden's, President Biden's executive order that came out just in tons of tons of recommendations and tons of deadlines for federal agencies to come up with their frameworks, to come up with some sort of like a solution, right? To how we're dealing with this problem. And obviously, yeah, a lot of stuff will happen. Yeah, I kind of feel like 2023 was fun AI and now 2024 <laughs> yeah. is going to be business, got to get serious, Gen AI. Yeah. Though, of course, we talk about, you're of course saying AI generally. And I think that your comment about precision or or consistency normalization of definitions I think is very important because in my observation it seems like many people think of AI but they really are thinking of generative AI something like mm-hmm. OpenAI's ChatGPT but we're yeah. seeing things like the EU AI Act it's not just focused on generative AI it, it's addressing AI systems that yeah have been in practice for a while. So it's really, I think, 
an awareness of, to your point, do people, do companies even know all the AI systems that are in use? And this is something I experience on the e-discovery side. It, it's mm-hmm. not uncommon whenever we start the preservation obligation process. We talk to someone in IT and we send them a questionnaire for them to let us know all of the apps, the data sources that ultimately may be used. And that's a great starting point when you start having custodial interviews to drill into. Do you have relevant mm-hmm. info here? Do you have relevant info there? It never fails. There's someone that that mentions a system that is off of IT's radar. So I yeah. think that just acknowledging or becoming aware of the fact that you might need to start getting your arms wrapped around the AI systems that are being used in your 100%. environment. I think is a good starting point. We really don't know how the regulations or oversight of these are going to play out, but if you can just say, I've done AI mapping. I know where all the AI systems are and how they're being used. And, you know, like I think some key pertinent information, I think that's a great starting point. And then hopefully organizations like NIST will help develop those standard that standard lexicon that we all can start using and expecting as far as what information we may want to track, what might be useful. So, um, yeah, 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 no, 100%. It's funny uh, when you said about the EU AI Act, uh, they're dealing with uh, generative AI technology, obviously, but with everything else as well. And considering the act was has been in the works in 2021, there, there were no foundation models to deal with in 2021. It was not even in the act. They kind of just decided to put it in at the late, late stages. And then they faced some just significant pushback even. And considering the speed this technology is moving, I think it's still, it's a good, it's a good comprehensive piece of legislation. And it's crucial for the companies and just businesses have, pretty much for anyone in the space to be interested in that. Read read up on that. Just kind of over the holidays even. What are the holidays for, right? <laughs> right. Uh, just read the EU AI Act. I mean, that's your kind of, that's going to be my gift to you for the New Year's. The standards are important as well. And as we've seen, so the EU AI Act, they, there's going to be finalized in the, maybe probably in February, we're going to see the final text, right? We're not even sure how it's going to look like, and probably it's going to be some back and forth behind the scenes, as always, negotiations and just some lobbying, 100%. Uh, But still, we're going to end up with the final text in February, and uh, we'll see how it's going to go down. But in the meantime, we ISO has published, I think last week, their standards they've been working on for AI systems, and it's going to be very helpful in terms of compliance and audits. They are voluntary standards, but still, it's crucial for kind of just to get this meat on the bones when we're talking about AI in general. And we're going in the right direction, I think, working with that, because it's this moving moving target, AI regulation. It's just, it's very hard to pinpoint. You can't even pinpoint that, but that's why the framework, the regulation framework has to be future-proof, right? You have to consider all possible outcomes, but still there has to be some room for the regulators to update. Obviously, the models will only get bigger or they're going to change. They're going to get ways of training might change or 
whoever knows what might change at that right. point. You know, we're talking like a year from now, we might be talking about just different, different AI systems, uh, you know, a different product. And it's crucial for just, again, coming back to the small businesses and just businesses in general who are considering integrating that technology, considering or already have integrated that technology. Consider that regulation already because it's coming and it's a, you're already too late if you're considering it. You should be, you should have been doing that before because it's astounding to me, like during my conversations sometimes with startups and what I'm hearing most of the times from the founders is the sentiment is like, so the act will be in, will come into force in 2026. So we have two years, two years. You don't have two years. <laughs> Mm-mm. No, that's not how it works. And kind of just, you have to talk to people. Again, that takes us back to the education part, to the awareness part. You need to educate yourself. You need to kind of know all those things in order to know what your business might need. You can't be serious about running your business long-term without addressing the compliance factor of that. And it's sometimes it's just, it's interesting to see the reaction of, of the people who are just trying to get into the space without realizing it's a give and take. You have to consider that aspect of things as well, but they don't actually do that. Well, and I also think it's very easy to just focus on the EU AI Act, but we're already seeing in this, of course, New York City Local Law 144, mm-hmm. which is a regulation about the use of AI or automated Uh, employment decision technology tools and confirming that there's no bias in those. New York State is trying to pass a similar law. And then we have EEOC picking up the banner on potential um, discrimination through the use of HR automated systems. And now we're seeing the FTC really jumping into the fray of potential consumer um, impact to AI systems, whether it's AI or gen AI, it's it's the full spectrum. So if you think about HR using AI, that's probably been around for a while. And that that cuts across all companies. It's not just a tech company or a tech startup. So being aware of uh, just, I think the benefit to reading the EU AI Act FAQ, it lets you get a sense of these are the uses of AI that may be high risk, mm-hmm. that may be a target for my local jurisdiction that I may not yeah. be aware of. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it kind of just it, it opens your eyes to sort of like this bigger picture. And now people might start finally thinking like, okay, where do I fit in? Where does my business or my business idea fits in? Right? Probably a lot of people will reconsider their business ideas at this point after taking that into consideration. So yeah, it's an, and the FTC has been very, very active in the space. That's, that's very kind of, I, I actually, I like kind of they took charge in the absence of just pretty much any federal legislation when it comes to data privacy or even the, yeah, obviously we don't have any AI regulation in the US. It's just kind of patchwork of just bills passed here and there, different states kind of addressing targeted issues. It's not sort of just all encompassing, right? People are trying to solve just some particular problems. They're introducing the bills and I I posted about it as well a few weeks ago. I think it's about 20 bills have been 
passed this year, over the, over the past year, AI-related bills. And at least kind of coming back to FTC, they saw this uh, void sort of right when it comes to regulating that. And they're like, okay, we're going to take charge. They've been kind of just having the work groups and discussions. They, they just been collecting and receiving feedback from just regular consumers in terms of AI and how it impacts their life and kind of what concerns do they have. And they published just a, a result of that research and that work. And it was, it was interesting, kind of the sentiment. People are very concerned about their privacy, about time. Usually just what we've seen before, people are not very, a lot of people don't even know what cookies are, right? Let's face it. And we're talking about privacy right now to that level. At least the, what AI kind of brought to the fore, it, it's all the privacy discussions what we've been having lately. Ethics and privacy, those two words you just keep hearing all over the, the world, all over like the place, social media and all the professionals out there kind of just they're trying to uh, focus on that transparency as well. I, I was just going to mm-hmm. say, I noticed that there seems to be a more broad awareness of privacy than just from my own observations. Mm-hmm. And I, I also think things like Jonah's awful episode of Black Mirror, I think that really mm-hmm. opened the eyes for a lot of people. And that happened right around the time there was the Screen Actors Guild strike. And it really, yeah. I think, made people more aware of, wow, this this technology is kind of fun to see, but the potential impact when you think down the road. So, and yes. One thing I really liked about the FTC, the Copyright Office as well, NIST as well, there's really a desire to engage with the public, to get comment, to get feedback. And we're seeing this with bar associations as well, because some bar associations are building out task force and asking for public comment. So I think it's a great opportunity. Opportunity for people to jump in and, and get engaged if they're they're so inclined. I think it's amazing because first of all, why it's kind of like this logical step, right? You have to include everyone because AI permeates our life. Just it's all over the place. It's gonna be in every industry, in all the areas. It doesn't matter where you turn at this point. You can't hide from it. So we might in, just you know we need to engage as many people. As, as possible, uh, there's no such prerequisite as just having a PhD in data science or machine learning, for that matter, mm-hmm. you know, so only then you have the right to speak up, right? No, everybody's entitled to speak up. That concerns our day-to-day lives. And uh, I'm, I'm part of the NIST uh, working group as well. And, you know, just people have been working on ways to kind of just how we build the framework around that right to to address people's concerns but we need to also remember about the existing regulation and we also need to remember about just let's not stifle innovation and we need funding for research and development how do you weave all those things together that's the question and obviously it's early early days but i think the more people are talking about it the better we wouldn't even be here talking about it like all of us right if it wasn't so obviously I wouldn't say polarizing, but there are obviously two ways to look at that, right? Some people are looking at AI and just like, okay, we're all going to die, Skynet, Terminator, scenario, that's it. The world is over, right? But there are a lot of benefits that will come 
from this technology. The thing is, can we balance it out, you know? And that's kind of just that I cannot answer right now. But it's fascinating well, to live in those, like these times. We're actually living today and witnessing that. And it's just, I think it's just it's exciting, awesome. right? Yeah, I love it too. I mean, it's it's an exciting time to be an attorney who understands technology and wants to get involved in all of this. There's not enough hours in the day, Elena, to, to do everything know, we want right? to do. It's like 24 get... hours, who does this? Yeah, it's we need more time. We need more time, yeah, folks. So, and you know, the challenge is, can we do all of this in time to catch up to the threat actors? We're talking about standardization of things and regulation, but that assumes that all people are willing to abide by the rule of man. And that obviously isn't always the case. So there are those threat actors out there who talking about generative AI and the potential for misinformation and geopolitical schemas. So mm -hmm. it's uh, it's really, and, and FTC I know is addressing some of that from from their voice cloning contest, which I, I like the idea of, of like a hackathon being hosted in essence by a federal uh -huh. agency, which I think is smart to be honest. So yeah, um, I, oh, totally. That was a very, very, very good idea. So Elena, I want to go back to something you touched on before you, you mentioned NFTs. Now, I know you're an IP mm -hmm. attorney and you're interested in all of emerging tech, not just AI, blockchain as well. Now, I have a special place in my heart for NFTs. I think there's an interesting use case for them from a building of communities, of, of provenance, but they've kind of mm -hmm. taken a hit. You know, if, if we look at 2023, oh, they the totally beginning did. of the year, <laughs> T projects were a big thing. At maybe not quite as big, you know, in 2022, but into 2023, we were still in the heady metaverse, NFT, and now it's crickets. And some of that is the the hit that's happened in the cryptocurrency world, and some of the hits that that NFTs have experienced themselves being scrutinized by the SEC. Do you see there being a rebirth of NFTs out there, the technology, or do you think it'll be like Internet of Things, that technology will be used, it just won't be talked about as an NFT? I think kind of like with, as with all sort of just waves of technology, right, some technological advancements or something you introduce, right, there's like this S-curve, right? So when it just first introduces its excitement, everybody loves it or everybody wants to know about it and just the money is pouring in right but there's this curve and after that it just goes down it just happens so the crypto winter crypto went down kind of everything together ai obviously helped because it's just sort of just knocked nfts out of just uh, its place just literally <laughs> uh but i i it's not gonna go away anywhere there's gonna be there will be more use cases. Obviously, the provenance aspect of that, that I love, I just love it being the, on the art side as well of, for my side of the profession, me working with the center of art law. We sometimes deal with artists who are very interested in that. And I know a few artists who are interested in NFTs being, you mentioned community building. I know a few artists who are interested in NFTs, like 
today in terms of how do I reach out to my fans or to people who love my art. I know this amazing artist, Kinga. She's, she's Polish and she had the most beautiful, beautiful art. And she had amazing feedback. It's called quantum art, right? She makes those amazing paintings. Very, very, very sci-fi something, but also like naturalistic. I don't know. They're just like out of this world. Amazing. And she had tons of great feedback. People are walking into the gallery and they see the physical paintings or people who looked at the art online. They're like in a different country, right? And they reached out to her. She doesn't have NFTs. She doesn't have anything in place. She didn't even know about NFTs up until like we started chatting back in the summer. And people are like, how can we get the NFTs of your art? I would love to have that. She's like, What's, what? What? What is this? What is this? <laughs> and she started to research the subject and people are open to that. They're like, we would love to be a part of that. Your work speaks to me. It resonates with me. And I would really love to have like a digital part of this. And it's amazing. That's if, if somebody tells me that's not a use case, I don't know what is, right? You get to connect to other people through your work and you get to see other people inspired by your work, even like miles and oceans away. And the authenticity part of it, right, comes to play as well. It's obviously it's going to be very useful in the art world, you know, in the art industry where everything is based on the handshake. But so far I've heard and I've talked to some people, the galleries and the gallery owners have been very reserved when it comes to dealing with that. They don't really understand the technology and NFTs being NFTs. Again, different people have different, they put different meaning behind the NFTs, right? Somebody thinks it's just a a JPEG, for example, right? It's just a picture. Some people might think it's something else, but again, not a lot of people still are aware. It's just kind of just this piece of code that gives you the right to own something. That's kind of, that's it. It's not a JPEG. So this mindset is still there. I can just copy paste and it's mine. No, it's not yours. It's a proof of ownership. But again, no, it's not going to go away. Obviously the hype won't be there. It's not going to come back to that level of just board apes when everybody went crazy about it. And just that's what all you were hearing all around. But it's going to be more every day, I would say. People who are working with that in that space, they'll just be keep working in that space, keep doing amazing things. Yeah, in the background, but, you know, just it's going to be there. Yeah. And I, I think that it's a wonderful use case for the art world. I feel like there's always some article that pops up of this person found this Van Gogh painting in their grandfather's garage. And oh, wow, it's <laughs> it's authentic. And, you know, I nearly see in 50 or 100 years, there's going to be maybe an expectation nearly like a Rolex watch, watch, you may get a vintage Rolex or a vintage Cartier. You may get more money for it if you actually have the papers validating that you have it. I've watched Antiques Roadshow forever. So I know that if you have that kind of documentation, mm-hmm. you usually can get a higher value. So I think that you know, the reality is people may potentially, if, if they, so that's a painting that my husband painted. And if he wanted to, he could sell it and have it NFT be part of the sale as part of the provenance. But there's always the potential that someone, whoever he sold that to, could sell the physical piece of artwork without transferring ownership 
of the mm-hmm. NFT. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the other person doesn't have it. It just means down the line, if that exchanges hands over time, it may minimize the value. We see the same thing again in, in watches or or other things where you have that expected certificate of authenticity. Yeah, so. yeah. And again, as with all the technology, right, it comes down to the educational part of it. A lot of people thought that by just purchasing an NFT, they own the copyright. They outright own the work and I can do whatever I want with it. No, you can't. Mm-mm. How about the, there, there's licensing? Let's not forget. There are some things that some other things, you know, you might take into consideration. People don't do it. They're just, a lot of people were in there. A part of the hype was a lot of people were in there just for the money, obviously. It was like, if I do this, I'll just slap like a thousand NFTs on my website and I'm going to be a millionaire. Obviously, right. it didn't work for them. Just people need to be, again, aware of just how it works and what it means and what's behind all that before even making a decision. Kind of do, do you need to get into that for your business or for yourself, right? Even when it comes to AI and businesses, you need to ask yourself, do you need AI to solve your problem right now? Or just you need AI to have AI? That's kind of a different different issue right if you don't need it right now just you know if you you can solve your problems any different way you might try that way just don't don't get it just to get it you know absolutely and i i do feel that there is a oversimplification of the integration of ai it, it's made it, everyone wants to talk about how it saves them time and all of this stuff, but it, you still have to work <laughs> at it. And, and, and even as, as powerful as many of these tools are, it's still in, you know, this podcast is a great example. I use multiple apps to prepare for and record and publish and promote yeah. the podcast. They're not all, it's not all contained in one app. And that's the challenge I see is I'm still having to manage like the work product here and the work product there. Now I'm using AI in different ways in them, mm-hmm. but I would mm-hmm. really love for something just to kick it all off and it be more managed. But I think that maybe that's what will happen in 2024. I was we'll going to say, maybe next year. Just We'll see more multi-app functionality. And I know that there are ways to do that with ChatGPT. I just haven't played around with it myself. That's a... Uh-huh. A weekend project for me one day, but there's still a lot to learn out there with all of these AI tools and they're constantly going to be changing. But no, um, obviously, I would love to hear from you. You know, we're getting close to the end. I would love to hear from you what you see as your 2024 predictions for emerging technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really like predictions. I mean, there are people who are much smarter out there than I am. <laughs> Let them predict. But I, I'm just going to say, but obviously, the next year will be the year a lot more people will get to interact with the technology due to its just proliferation. It's out there and more of it will be out there. And it's only getting better by the day. More people will get affected by it. And I would expect more attempts to regulate it for good or for bad. A lot of countries are in this race, a lot a lot at stake. It's a geopolitical as well as political, as well as just anything else. That's how 
big of a thing AI is. It just it's it's all over and it affects everyone. So I expect it to be obviously even bigger. And there's been this talk about the AI agents and how they're gonna be able to kind of just do whatever everything for you. For example, with your podcast, Cassie, right? So yeah, just, I need you that agent, click right. one button and it's just gonna <laughs> do all the work and thirty minutes later you have your podcast recorded and just published and marketing done, blah, blah, blah. Will we be there in 2024? I don't know. (laughs) Again, uh, but with this technology and the speed of it, it's going to go smaller and people are on their mobile phones all the time, right? So mobile use of it, it's already, uh, people are more on ChatGPT on their phones than just on their computers, obviously. So it's a logical thing to expect that it's going to be just on their small devices, you know, just I'll just upload whatever I want on my computer and I'll be doing whatever I want with this AI system from the safety of my home. And then nobody knows what are you doing there with that AI system? What are you cooking up in there? And it's hard to kind of, you know, when we're talking about the regulators, right? How can you control billions of people uploading that? and just doing stuff with it. Again, how do you, without breaching their privacy or infringing on their rights, right? How can you really stop that? That's going to be one interesting topic, definitely. Yeah, there will be many, many more to come in 2024. I have no doubt about it. And I will be anxiously awaiting for that AI agent to... (laughs) Come in and make my life a little bit easier (laughs) for the podcast publication, at least. Well, Elena, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. I've learned quite a few things from you, as I always do just watching you on LinkedIn. And I'm (laughs) sure my audience has as well. If you haven't followed her on LinkedIn, you definitely should. And that's it for this episode of Cassie and 